0: be back in ecclesiastes it's our second week in that book in the study of that book and so let me encourage you to grab a bible we're going to be in Ecclesi- ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 12 all the way through chapter 2 verse 26 and so we're going to start and and make it all the way through 26 uh, some of you are thinking there's no way i promise we will um, anyway so so if, you're, if you don't have a Bible with you, the book the, 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 the Bible's in the back of the chairs. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We would encourage you to take it with you. If you read it, and just man, it's the Word of God that does the work. It's powerful. Uh, it, it will change, radically change your life. We'd encourage you to take it and, uh, and, and make that yours. Uh, it's on page 553 in that Bible if, if uh, that will help you. So uh, here we are in this study of Ecclesiastes. And last week we stepped in, we got the first 11 verses of chapter 1 figured out, and we Walk through that, and the, the main point that was made, and you'll need to hear this today. We need to kind of set the tone again because we kind of pick up in the middle of this. The main point that was made in those verses is that life under the sun, under God's curse, life in this world, the human experience, if you will, will never produce profit. If you have ever felt like I just can't get ahead, like it seems like there's always something knocking me down, it, what I'm doing is not working right? If, if you've ever felt like that, and you've recognized this, this constant cycle, this treadmill you've climbed onto, and you just can't seem to get to the other side of things, then you are right where Solomon was. You're right in the smack, smack in the middle of the human experience. In fact, you're not just where Solomon was, you are where we all can find ourselves. It's just the truth of the human experience. Today, As we step back into Ecclesiastes in our study, this theme that he has kind of woven through the book is still just as true now in these verses we're going to study as it was last week. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Futility of futility, all is futile. It's essentially what he's saying. And he qualifies that with life under the sun. He's not speaking all of existence. He's talking about this life we live under the sun. And today, as we step back in, that is right where we find ourselves. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, says, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. Let me just show you. He is making an um, a, 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 a identifying statement here, but he is about to tell us a personal story. So he begins to speak from the first person. Now some people, and I'm kind of of this mind, think that verses 1 through 11 are a frame narrator. Like these, this, Solomon didn't necessarily write this book, but these are his words that someone else wrote down and is telling to us. And I've kind of taken that, that view, but it's all Solomon's wisdom. It's all Solomon's words. And here are words that Solomon would speak personally. This is his personal Word he says I the preacher have been king over Israel in Jerusalem and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the sun not just a little bit of it but all of it it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with I have seen everything that is done under the sun and behold all is vanity and a striving after the wind what is crooked cannot be made straight what is lacking cannot be counted. And so just uh, the, the passage is long. And so I, I want to get into it right here. I want to I start right here. But before we start digging into that, I just want us to pray and ask that the Lord would reveal to us what he intends to reveal through his word. Father, this is your word. We know it. So, Solomon may have spoken it, but you inspired it. You breathed it out through him. These words are true because they are yours. And so I pray that as we study even these things, these difficult subjects, these difficult matters, these weighty things, that we would see your glory behind them. That we would know your goodness and we would see what you have for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Would you speak to us in your word today? I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So maybe you're familiar with the words, the, 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 the words of the famous theologian. Uh, well, I'll let you figure out who it is. Maybe you'll have heard this before. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction because I try and I try and I try and I try. I can't get no, I can't get no satisfaction. You know who it is? Who? McJagger, right? Okay, so he's not famous for his theology, but he is a theologian of sorts. He's just got a broken, flawed theology. He he sings this song, and, and if you listen to the lyrics of the song, it's almost like an anthem. It's surprising to me that it's an anthem of lack of satisfaction, that they're almost celebrating the reality that they are always wanting, that they never find satisfaction. In fact, the music amps up, and it draws you in to sing with it. And maybe maybe you're not old enough to have heard the song or enjoyed the song. Maybe you're wiser than I was when I was at the age that I was listening to that song. But the reality is, is that he shares a testimony that's true of all of us. There's no satisfaction in this world. That's that's what Solomon has already been telling us, and that's what Solomon is going to show to us today, because Mick Jagger's not the only one that shares a testimony that bears witness to the fact that this world will not satisfy us. In fact, Mick Jagger is simply just parroting words that he could find in Solomon's wisdom if he would just listen. You see, Solomon, he tells us, I looked at everything. Not just a few things, not just some things. I looked at everything. I tried it all out. (laughs) I went after everything. But as all is striving after the wind, nothing would satisfy. You might say his big idea, the big point that we would see, see in these verses is that seeking satisfaction from a world that's dying is as futile as chasing the wind. Solomon had been granted wisdom by God. He had this, this amazing insight, this amazing understanding of the way things worked. He had this knowledge from God that he could see and, and understand things in ways that no one else of his time could. But everywhere he turned, everything he applied his wisdom to, everything he looked at, was absolutely futile. And what he found in his search. It's one of the most profound truths that we, we need to grapple with, we need to wrestle with, we need to deal with. It's one of the most profound truths that we could ever sit down and understand. It's futile by design. It's not an accident that Solomon can't get satisfaction. It's not an accident that, that everything that he put himself to was chasing after the wind. Look at it in verse 13. He says it in verse 13. He says that that, um, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. It's an unhappy business that they run around seeking satisfaction and it only produces futility. There's only more futility followed by more futility followed by more futility. This is an unhappy business that who's given us? God. God has done this. He's the one that stands opposed to our sins. He's the one that knows what we need and will not allow us to find any kind of satisfaction in something less than himself. It's by design that these things won't satisfy. It's by design that this dying world will not make us feel at home. You just consider this for a moment. If you felt at home in this world, why would you have any reason to look for him? you wouldn't if if we didn't know that what Mick Jagger's saying i can't get no satisfaction was true why would we ever look anywhere else for more satisfaction see god is absolutely opposed to our sin and so he has subjected his creation to futility so that everything in this world will only render more futility, but he's so opposed to his sin, or opposed to our sin, I should say. He is so opposed to our sin that he didn't just render the creation of futility, but he stepped in and dealt with it. You see, we we see God's opposition to sin perfectly pictured in the cross of Christ He's not, just, he's not just up there playing games. He's not just saying, oh, well, I just want to make them pay, and so I'm going to subject them to futility. I'm going to make them run around like rats in a maze, never able to find the end. I'm going, to, I'm going to put them on a treadmill that never produces anything. Instead, by his son, he says, look, nothing here provides satisfaction, but look at the one who came and died in your place and for your sin. I stand opposed to your sin, but I have provided a way out. You see, it's by design that this world produces futility. Because there's only one way we can find our way out of it, and that's through His Son. You see, God isn't just playing games. He wants us to see what's true and what's right and what's available. He knows what's best for us. He wants what's best for us. And so He will not let us find some substitute. He won't let us be satisfied by some trifle. Instead, everything we do here, everything we fight for here, everything we pursue in our power and with our might, it's like chasing the wind. You ever chase the wind? Have you ever caught the wind? And what happens if you catch the wind? It ceases to be wind, right? Well, now it's just air. I, 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 can put, I can catch the wind, I can go out and I can catch it in a bag and I can close it up and what happens? It's not wind blowing around and trying to pull me places, it just becomes air. The, 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 the commentators, many of the commentators that I read from point out that, that this could just as easily be tra- tr- uh, translated as shepherding the wind. It's not just trying to catch it, it's not just chasing after, it. it's trying to guide it. Can you tell the wind which way to blow? Can you tell it which way to blow from? Can, can you tell it what to do? Can you guide it in any way well okay well we can we can harness it. We can stick a windmill out in it and and capture its power and produce electricity. We can put a sail on a boat and we can go where it leads us. But have you ever tried to sail upwind? I can remember the first time in, in, a, in, a, in a sailboat. it was a little sailboat it was It was really meant for. Uh, maybe two adults, but there was three kids in it, and my aunt who lived on a lake up near Kansas City. Uh, she had this sailboat, and the wind was—it wasn't a direct headwind, but it was coming. It was, it was as close to a headwind I think as it could be without it being directly on us. We were—I I don't know how many times we flipped over trying to get back to her house. It was great going. Uh, like when we left her house, it was easy. We just—it was fast. It was so fun. And then we had to go home. Going back was almost impossible. Weaving back and forth across the lake, it it, it didn't just take twice as long to get back. It took way longer to get back than it ever did to go away. We don't have the power. We don't have the, the wisdom, the knowledge, the understanding. We don't have the ability to chase or shepherd wind in any way. And in fact, he doesn't just end at that idiom. He, he brings out some others. He says, hey, it's not just chasing the wind. It's not just striving after the wind. What's crooked can't be made straight. You ever tried to straighten something that's been bent? You take a piece of metal and you, and you bend back what, 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 what's been bent and, and the marks of its bending remain." You can't undo it. And, and then, oh, well, I'm going to straighten it out a little more, and then pretty soon you crack it and you break it. What's crooked can't be made straight. We don't have the ability to do that. What's lacking can't be counted. You ever count what you don't have? <laughs> how, how do you even do that? I know what I should have. Well, how much between what I have and what I should have? What's the difference? I can't count that. The point he's making is is, is that there is futility upon futility. It's a treadmill of life. We we, we might say it, in in our terms today, we might say it as in herding cats. You ever heard cats? You you heard the saying? You know what it means? It's it's like herding cats, squeezing blood from a turnip. One I heard recently, squashing water. Yeah, squashing water. You ever try to squash water? I don't even know really what that means. It's just I, I heard it, and I was like, well, that seems silly. That's not going to produce the results I want. I might get messy. I might get wet, but it's not gonna, I'm not really going to squash any water. The idea here is that this is futile. Seeking satisfaction from a world that's dying is a futile is as futile as chasing the wind. It will not succeed. What we are doing will not work. That's the message he wants us to hear. But, but he last week we saw him point to the creation and the created order through, through this poem. And, and this week we're going to hear him make that point through the testimony of his life. If I could encourage you to do anything today, it's learn his lesson from his life. Now, I'm not good at this. Like, i got to make the mistakes myself. I I mean, the way that I learn is the Lord smacking me with a two-by-four, wake up, Seth, I'm God, you're not. Listen to Solomon's testimony and learn from him. He's the king of Israel. He's been granted all wisdom and knowledge. He has wisdom and knowledge that no one else had ever had. He has means with which to pursue his desires that we, most of us, could only dream of. And he was able to look at everything that men put themselves to and see that it's only futile. Specifically, we're going to see him call it out in the pursuit of wisdom, the pursuit of pleasure, the pursuit of wealth, and the pursuit of work. Let's pick it up and you'll see what I'm talking about in verse 16. He said, or I said, Solomon said, in my heart I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this is also but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases Sorrow. So he's he's not just looking at wisdom. He's not just pursuing to know wisdom and grow in his wisdom. He's not just seeking knowledge for knowledge's sake. He wants to understand. He wants to see how things work. He wants to to, to not just know things. He wants to understand things. And he's not just looking at that. He's actually contrasting it, comparing it. Madness and folly, foolishness. I'm looking at both, he says. I'm seeing both. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure them out. I'm trying to understand them. But even this is a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The more I understand in this life apart from God, the more wisdom I have, the more knowledge I gain apart from God, It, it, it increases my problem. It increases the difficulty. It increases my understanding of how futile things are. It increases my sorrow because I see there's no way out. I can't work my way out of this. I can't fix my own issue. I said in my heart, chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. He's going to throw himself into everything that pleases him, that feels good. It's It's the motto of our day, right? YOLO! If it feels good, do it. You only live once. I mean, you might as well. Make it count. I'm going to test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter it is mad, and of pleasure what what use is it? I searched my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart is still uh, guiding me with wisdom. So, So hear this. He's not just running around like a foolish person. He's pursuing this with wisdom. He's not just running around like an idiot, like a chicken with his head cut off. This is, this is a, a wise and a, a, a pursuit uh, with, with wisdom undergirding it, if you will. My heart, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom and, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what is good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. It wasn't just pleasure wasn't just wisdom. He goes after work. He sought to drown himself in work and seek his identity in work. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted them in all kinds of fruit trees. And I made for myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. He he'd built parks so big and so vast that he had to figure out how to water. He had to figure out how to irrigate all of these trees. I mean, this is huge. These aren't just little parks like across the street behind the school. These are parks. that are This is like wildlife preserves, if you will. And I had to build lakes so that they could be irrigated. It wasn't just work, it was possessions and wealth. In verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces." <laughs> this is not a, a commendation of slavery. This is not a, a statement that it's okay to have slaves. In fact, if you look at the context, it's, it's foolishness. It's, it probably would be thought less of. It's, it's, it's not something that's good. But he measured his wealth and his possessions based on the number of people he owned and the number of things he owned his land, his herds, his flocks, his silver, his gold, his treasure. And then he winds back around to entertainment and pleasure. I got singers, both of men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So now he's, 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 he's not just tried wine. He's not just tried drinking and, and drinking away his problems. I—I I, I Maybe you've tried that. It doesn't work. He, he doesn't just try to laugh and, and find reasons to make himself feel happy. He looks to entertainment. He sits down he goes to the concerts. He's probably listening to Mick Jagger. Singing about no satisfaction. He's all excited until it's over. Or until he listens to the message of the song and he finds out, well, that's a really depressing song. Why in the world would we sing that as an anthem? We should be crying. He runs after entertainment. He runs after what feels good. He runs after what would seem good to the sons of men under the sun. And he chases after women. He highlights the fact that he is running after concubines. And we know that he had, had, uh, I can't remember how many hundreds, uh, maybe thousands of wives. I mean, I can't remember the number, but it's a massive number of wives and concubines. This Solomon was trying everything to fill himself, to satisfy himself with pleasure. He was trying everything to satisfy himself with his work and his wealth. and, and, And over and over and over again, he says it vain. It's empty. It doesn't satisfy. Seeking dissatisfaction from a world that's dying is as futile as chasing the wind. There's nothing in this life, no wisdom, no pleasure, no wealth, no work that will ever satisfy us. Everything he did, everything he worked for Everything he chased, all of his work, he says it in, in verse uh, 11 of chapter 2. I considered, uh, I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, all was futility, and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Have you ever felt like you just can't get ahead? Solomon knew exactly what you felt. And you consider this for just a moment, the irony of that, because Solomon was the richest man at that point. He was the most powerful man at that point in the history of Jerusalem. He had more stuff. He had more access to pleasure. He had more access to being able to accomplish all of his purposes and plans that he set out to do. He had more opportunity. He had more leverage. He had more uh, more wisdom and knowledge to figure it all out. And he could not get ahead. What he was doing was not working. Can you identify with that? All of it, every last ounce of it, in his final analysis, there's no more productive, no more purposeful than just chasing after the wind. Now, in his wisdom and in his his knowledge and the way he understood it, he he knew, well, I can't just take what's on the surface. i got to think about this. i got to consider this. i got to examine this a little closer. And so he does, and we pick it up in verse 18. All right, I'm sorry, verse 12. He says, so I turned to consider wisdom. I, I turned to think about it. Look, I've exercised it. I've run after it. I've tried to grow in it. I've tried to, I, I've tried to live in it. I tried to consider wisdom and madness and folly for what can a man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there is more gain in light than darkness. The wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness, and yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. I mean, what he points out, what he, what he notices is, hey, it's, it's, not, he, it, it's good to have wisdom and knowledge. There's some measure of uh, gain, some measure of lift from it. It's, it's a good thing for us. Wisdom and knowledge, we shouldn't just walk away from it. There is a better life to be had, but it's still under the sun. See, wise people, they understand they have some gain. They have some ability to to utilize the the world around them for greater gain than the fool does. But look at his point. They both die. They both die. The same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? What little gain I had just doesn't seem to be worth it. Why then have I been very wise? And I said in my heart, that is also vanity. For the wise, as the fool, there is no enduring remembrance. Seeing that the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life. Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and striving after the wind. See, wisdom, it may may feel better. It may produce better results for a moment. But the wise man dies just like the fool does. They all die. I hated my toil, he goes on. It's not just wisdom that's a problem, right? He considers everything he did. He, I hated my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be master for all which I toiled and use my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. is vanity. The wise man dies just like the fool. Pleasure, it might feel good for a moment, it might seemingly satisfy for a moment, but in the end, pleasure fades and death looms and despair reigns. Because if we're honest, we won't be happy forever. If we're honest and we really look at the things of this world and we look at how things go in this world, the reality is death is bigger than we are. There's no pleasure that can out-pleasure it. There's no pleasure that lasts longer. It will outrun it. Wealth might solve the sum of life's issues. Maybe you don't have to live paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you don't have to think about uh, what what it's going to look like in a few months because you feel financially secure. But there's a day coming where you will die and you don't have enough wealth to pay off death. Work might distract us from the reality that we live in today. It might give us something to pour ourselves into. It might give us something to do. But all of our work under the sun ends in death. And everything we worked for, he says, is left for someone else. And who knows if they'll even appreciate it. Who knows if they'll even think it matters. No matter how much wisdom, how much pleasure, how much wealth we acquire, all the work we do on this earth, there is one ever present reality we all die death is waiting for every one of us there's nothing we can do to change that no matter how hard we try there's nothing we can do to overcome it seeking satisfaction from wisdom pleasure wealth and work is chasing wind because death is our fate under the sun Under the sun, we all die. We cannot make straight what is already crooked. We cannot count what is lacking. We are only ever chasing the wind to try to escape it. No matter how hard we try, we all die. The things of this world are temporary. They are not lasting. They are powerless to help us face the one great crisis the person, that every person, regardless of race, gender, rich, poor, wise, fool, every one of us alike, we cannot overcome. No matter how hard we try, we all die. To try to do anything else and expect anything else from this world is the same as chasing after wind. Straightening what is crooked, counting what is lacking, squeezing blood from a turnip, herding cats, squashing water. In the end, it will all be in vain if it's all under the sun. Now, it seems, and I know, trust me, I've dealt with this for months and months and months. Maybe that's why I've felt down for several months. I don't know. I've been reading and studying this book um, really since the beginning, before the beginning of summer. I know it feels hopeless. I know it seems lost. But I I want you to go back and I want you to think about what he said, what he pointed out at the very beginning. This is all by design. God's doing it for a purpose. You see, what feels meaningless, what feels like it's not producing anything to us, doesn't mean that God doesn't have a purpose for it. And in these next verses, the the tone flips, the, the tone changes, the perspective moves. And he quits looking under the sun, and for a moment, for a brief moment, he looks above it. In verse 24 he says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Does that not sound like it? That's a, a different guy. That's because he's changed perspective. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? You see, He's he's suggesting, He's seeing that whatever we chase for under the sun, whatever we run after under the sun, it only leads to death. But if we would look to God, we would see the gifts come from Him. He's suggesting to us that there's something more to look at, something more to see. I saw this is from the hand of God. For apart from Him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For, For to... To one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. The idea is fullness, satisfaction, the overflowing sense of, of happiness and contentment. Happiness. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. It's a lesson that Solomon learns in all his pursuit. He sees this is vanity upon vanities. My work is vanity. My, 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 my pursuit of pleasure is vanity. My wealth is vanity. My, my wisdom is vanity because it's focused under the sun. It's a lesson we all need to learn and because we all find ourselves in the same place. We're looking for the gifts from the Creator to be our God. We're looking to them to be the source of our contentment. We're looking to them to be the source of satisfaction. We're looking to them to provide us life. There is nothing in this life, nothing in this world under the sun that provides life. We must look to God. See, our problem is not that we enjoy being wise more than being foolish. (laughs) There's actually gain in that. There's nothing wrong with that. Our problem is not that we enjoy pleasurable things. There's nothing wrong with that. We should enjoy pleasurable things. Our problem is not that we enjoy the abundance that's available in God's creation. We should. We should look around and see how it's put together to to be a benefit to us, and we should enjoy that. Our problem is not that we enjoy work. Our problem is not that we enjoy this stuff. It's that we look to it to do what only God can do seeking satisfaction from wisdom pleasure wealth and work is chasing wind because they are gifts from God they are not God it's wanting his gifts without wanting him it's seeking them without seeking him so God does what is right and what is good and he says if you seek these things without seeking me they will only produce futility but if you'll sit down and just be grateful for what I've given you, then you can begin to enjoy them. Well, I don't think he's given me enough. Well, then you're thinking you need something more than God to be happy. Well, I don't think I know enough. Then you think there's something he's kept from you that would make you happy. well, I don't think my life is easy enough. Then you think you know better than God how to satisfy yourself. God does what is right and good, and by design, He doesn't allow these things to satisfy us so that we will look to Him. You see, the reality is, is that this problem that Solomon had Has always been our problem. It's the very root issue of everything we face in this life. It's the very reason, it's the very reason why so many of us are dissatisfied and unhappy. See, what's supposed to be ruled and subdued by us, by God's design, by His command, in His curse now rebels against us. I showed it to you last week in the scripture from Genesis chapter 3. What should have been been fruitful when we laid our hands to it now produces thorns and thistles. What should have been pleasant and and great reason to celebrate is now marked by by, by great pain and difficulty. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, for although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or, or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were dark. And He goes on to demonstrate that they chased the creation rather than the creator. That they loved the creation. They worshipped the creation. They gave themselves to the creation rather than the creator. I mean, who's to say if, if, if the fall into sin, if Adam and Eve had never rejected God and all that God had given them, we, we probably wouldn't have sayings like squeezing blood from a turnip. We probably wouldn't ever say anything about hurting cats. We'd probably never have anything to say about squashing water. We'd probably never have anything to say about this is futile. It's without meaning. It's without purpose. It doesn't produce what we want it to. Because in God's creation, apart from sin, the world would have been fruitful. The world would have been wondrous and and abundant. And in fact, you think about what he gave them. Go back and think about what Genesis chapter 2 tells us he gave them. He created a whole world and he gave Adam and Eve. And he says, hey, you know what? There's no plants and animals. I'm gonna put a garden right here. I'm gonna put you in it. All the trees with seeds, every all of the fruit of the trees is yours. He didn't, he didn't hold by, he didn't, he didn't say, Oh, you only get to eat from one. He gave them the abundance of all that the world would produce. There was nothing they were lacking. He gave them purpose. Be fruitful, multiply, multiply, rule, subdue. The work was going to produce. They were going to fill the earth. We're going to have work to do It was fruitful. They were going to live in the abundance of God's provision. Wealth that you and I can only fathom. I can't fathom. We might be able to glimpse and imagine, but I don't even think it comes close. And pleasure, a world where death hadn't even been introduced, it's not even a blip on the radar, it's not a world where everything you do feels good, a world where saying it feels good, so do it, is actually worth listening to. A world where you only live once isn't a reason to get up and try everything right now because tomorrow I might die. It's a reason to just celebrate the fact that we, we live once and we never die. Talk about pleasure. You see, the reality is that Solomon learned a lesson we all need to learn. Everything we're doing, everything we're pursuing in this world under the sun apart from God, every last bit of it is us trying to make our way back to Eden to gain back what we once lost. You're not going to get there on your own. You can't make it by yourself. But God... God made a way. He made a way. He made a way that that these gifts could be enjoyed. He made a way that we could know Him again. And He did that by stepping in and living this life alongside us under the sun. I pointed out last week that Jesus came. He was... was Bur- uh, birthed by a virgin, that's a new thing. I pointed out that, that he lived um, in this world. Uh, well, I don't think I said it. He lived in this world without sin. That's a new thing. He died a sacrificial death, and he rose in victory. You see, Solomon doesn't point us to that. You know why Solomon doesn't point us to that? Because Solomon couldn't see it. Everything Solomon points at is what he can see, it's what he can observe, it's what he understands by the experience he has in this life. Thank God we're not dependent upon understanding the gospel from Solomon. Now, he gives us glimpses. He tells us to look. He tells us and shows us, hey, there's something else. You can enjoy the gifts of God as you look at him and experience gratitude for them. But thank God that Solomon begins to point to us to the place that God intends us to see. He wants us to know. He wants us to enjoy these gifts. He wants us to know the abundance of His provision. He wants us to know the pleasure of His provision. He wants us to know the the good and, and fruitful work for us to do. He wants us to have His wisdom. And He wrapped it all up in His Son, Jesus Christ, in Christ, God bestows his gifts on his children that they might find their satisfaction in him and fully enjoy his gifts. You see, he gives us a way that we can sit down and be thankful rather than wishing there was one more thing, rather than thinking I'm not got enough, rather than but, but a place that we can find satisfaction in him and still Fully enjoy his gifts. Let me just show you this. So, along these four ideas, wisdom, Ephesians 1, chapter 16 through 19. I do not cease to give thanks for you, says Paul, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. God wants you to have wisdom, and so he encourages us by the Paul's prayer to pray for wisdom, to seek him for it. He may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. He wants us to know. He wants us to understand. He wants us to look to Him and know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His great might. Brothers and sisters, a life in pursuit of wisdom, uh, pleasure, work, and and, and wealth is a life that, that is going to produce futility. But a life in pursuit of the God who can provide these things will bring you to a place of satisfaction. He wants you to have it, but He wraps it up in Christ. You can have it and enjoy it fully in Christ. Pleasure. John chapter 10.10 Jesus Himself, the thief, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came. I came. He sets Himself off in contrast to the thief. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He wants you to know the pleasure of enjoying His world, enjoying the things that He's put here. He wants you to understand that there's more to life than what you can uh, uh, consume, more to life than what you can gain, more to life than what you can hold in your hands. He wants you to see it. And He says, in me, I came that you might have it. But It's in Christ. Wealth, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-4. through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Worship him, Peter calls us to. Worship him, praise him, bless him. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. (laughs) Just just let me stop there. Everything that Solomon talks about is marked by a death. In Christ, we get to start talking about life. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You think you're longing in this world is because you have your eyes on something much smaller than God has intended to give you. He has an inheritance waiting for you that is imperishable. It won't rot, it never will be anything but new. It's undefiled, meaning that it was not wrought with sin. There's no sin. There's nothing bad in it. It is completely good. It is glorious. And it's unfading. It's never going to lose that new car smell. You know what it is to get it? Like you move into that new house and you think, oh man, finally home. And then you got to start making repairs. You buy that new car and... I think, I don't, I don't, I've never met anybody that doesn't like that new car smell. In fact, we try to re- recreate it. You know, you know, all that is really is glue and, and adhesives and stuff like that. I don't know what the, them going together, I don't know what makes it smell so good to us. Maybe it's, we think it's new. But then it starts to break down on us. It becomes a burden to us. We've got to pay the payment. It's a monkey on our back as much as it is something that we can ride around in. The inheritance we receive from the Father will never fade in that way. As he wraps it up in Jesus Christ, he says, I want you to know the abundance of all that I have for you. Will you look to me so that you can have it? It's kept in heaven for you. And work. You want work that's productive? You want to do work that's productive? He wants you to as well. In fact, that's the very reason he saved you from death so that you could do good works. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. it is the a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Not one of us can walk around saying, oh, man, I'm saved. I'm such a good person. I, you man, you should have seen what I did to save myself. Nobody gets to do that. If you hear somebody doing that, that's futility. It's vanity. It's not real. We're saved by grace, through faith. no one can boast, for we are his workmanship. and the word for that in the Greek is poema. We're his work of art, we're his craft that he has crafted. There's an idea of a personal touch. There's an implication of a purposeful, intentional shaping that, that, that displays the glory of the Creator. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works we all every last one of us have good works to do because he created us for them which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them brothers and sisters hear me hear this hear Solomon's and learn from Solomon's experience work Wealth, pleasure, and wisdom apart from God, they're futile. But if you learn to be grateful for them as gifts from God, they can be enjoyed. But that will only happen, that will only ever happen through Christ we cannot long for the gift more than the giver. We cannot look to the gift more than the giver. We cannot seek the gift more than the giver. It starts with our satisfaction in him and pours out that we might enjoy all his gifts. Everything else is futile. And maybe you're sitting in here today and there's a reality that you don't know Christ. There's a, as much a warning in Solomon's words as there is a commendation to look to Christ. Let me just read it to you again. For the one who pleases Him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. He's given him both both sides of this. He's given him the wisdom and the understanding that goes with the knowledge. He's given him the joy, the pleasure, the abundance, the wealth, the work, the purpose, the satisfaction. But to the sinner... He has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. If you have never trusted Christ, never followed Him, believed that He is the only way, then, then hear Solomon's words. You will live a life of futility. And everything you gain at some point will be taken from you and given to someone else. I don't say that to be a punk or be judgmental or be harsh toward anyone in this room. I say that because I long for you to know, to know the joy that is in Christ, to know the knowledge and wisdom, the abundance, the wealth, the work, the purpose that, that comes in knowing Christ. I long for you not a life of futility, but a life that is satisfied in our Creator. And he's made that available to you simply by believing in and trusting in Christ. Would you trust him today? Get off the treadmill. Sit down in the presence of the glory of your Creator. Revel in the fact that he came and he put on flesh and he dwelt under the sun that you might enjoy him forever. Let's pray. Father God, help us to take our eyes off of these things that we exalt as God's that are powerless to provide us any hope or any joy, any purpose or sense of satisfaction. Help us. For those that are yours in this room, Father, would you move on them? Would you convict where necessary? Would don't you challenge them and show them ways that they are seeking gifts rather than you? Where they're, where they're asking some created thing to do what only you as the creator can do? Will you help us to see how we can enjoy all that you've given us while being fully satisfied by you? And if there be any here today that don't know you, that have never trusted you, I pray, through the preaching of your word, through the call of your word, through the the reviving, powerful hand of your Holy Spirit, that you would open their eyes to the truth, they might know you, repent of sin, and trust in Jesus. I pray these things, Jesus, in your name, for your glory. Amen.